Let's open in prayer. Our gracious God, we thank you that we can gather together this morning and open up your word that we might know you. We ask that in knowing you, we would also know ourselves better so that we might be aware of our frailty and our struggles and that we might run to you all the more for strength. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are continuing our um, world tour through the book of Job. Uh, and so I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Job. You can read us uh, the end of chapter 2 and most of chapter 3. Uh, so chapter 2, verse 11 will be our starting point. Um, and, and like I said, this is a short series. I, I'm going to be in California in two weeks. So really, I have just two more Sundays before June. June is when we're going to go to summer schedule, and we'll explain more of that. So uh, we're going to go through chapter 3 today, and then we're going to skip chapters forty, I mean, chapter 4 through 37, and we'll pick up in chapter 38 next week. And then one more week after that, we'll, we'll, uh, and, and I, I knew up front that we weren't going to be able to go super in-depth, but look at the intro and the conclusion of this book and, and see what the Lord would speak to us in our, in our struggles, in our hard times right now. Okay, so Job chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came, each one, of his own place, Eliphaz of the Temnite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show sympathy, to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes, and they sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat down with him on the ground seven days, and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Job said, Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. For let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let, not, let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the door of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come out of the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breast that I should nurse? For then I would have laid down and been quiet. I would have slept and been at rest. With kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves, or with the princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver, or why was I not hidden, not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together, and they hear not the voice of their taskmaster. The small and the great are there. And the slave is free from his master. 
Why is light hidden to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sign comes instead of my bread, my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. So let me ask this question this morning. Where are you the weakest when it comes to temptation? What kind of attacks by the enemy are most likely to be effective in your life? If you're like most people, you're probably more likely to give into temptation in small, subtle areas than you are in the big, obvious attacks. I'll give you an example from my life. I am more likely to surrender my integrity. That means lie, hide the truth, shade the truth. For something small and stupid than I am for something big and costly. I'm not going to embezzle. I'm not going to walk into a bank and steal. I'm not going to cheat someone. I'm not going to lie under oath if I'm standing in a courtroom. But for something small and dumb and inconsequential, something that, that makes the next five minutes more comfortable, that's where I drop my guard. And that's where I blow it. What about you? Butchie. When you're tired. All right, yeah. Fail the easiest when you're tired. Good. Yeah, I, okay, I'll add a second to my list. There you go. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's amazing how much less sanctified I am when I don't get a good night's sleep. It's crazy. Okay, yeah. This is important. As, we're, as we continue our study of, of Job, our abbreviated study, we're making a transition today from Satan's frontal assault on Job, his attempt through stripping Job of all he had an attempt to get Job to reject God, his attempt through affliction and despair uh, to, to get Job to stop following God, his, even his use of his wife, that frontal just curse God and die attempt. Because all of these have met with failure. I mean, Job has been assaulted head on. He's lost everything. He's been afflicted. And even his wife has, has counseled him, curse God and die. And and and. And Satan, and Satan has failed and Job has stood strong. And today we're going to move to a new portion that will focus on his relationship with his friends. In fact, uh, the next many chapters are, are discourses, conversation between Job and his friends. And, and his friends, why have they come? What does it say? Why did they come? To afflict him? They, come, they came to show him sympathy and to comfort him, right? 
They're not there to afflict him. They're not there to draw him away from God. They're there to, to, in their minds, drive him to God. But as, as the book will go on, and if we, if we had time, maybe we'll come back sometime, but we could go through these discourses and see that they struggle to understand how God does things. They, under, they don't understand God's ways and his wisdom and his truth. Uh, and they, they come to Job with great intentions, but they come not with the wisdom as we've described it. What is wisdom in, in biblically? This is why I hit it every week, right? Now, somebody's sitting there going, I have it in my notes, but I don't like to raise my hand. Everybody else is saying, hmm, what was that definition? Biblical wisdom is the ability to follow God's word, his commands, his truth, regardless of what life throws at you and regardless of what makes sense. You see, earthly wisdom is, it says, well, I figured out how life works. I've been around long enough to find out if I do this, this will happen. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this because I want this to happen. That's earthly wisdom. It, it looks at cause and effect. Biblical wisdom says, doing the right thing might make your life miserable. Do you trust God? And Job's friends are coming to him with good intentions but earthly wisdom. They struggle to understand God's wisdom, God's truth. And so they actually end up drawing Job into a place of anger and bitterness and and resentment. And through their failed attempts to comfort Job, he actually does the very things, some of the very things, that Satan tried to get him to do through the frontal assault. And Job begins... uh, to waver, and so we we're going to see as 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 Job uh, begins to talk with his friends, he starts to lose his way. Not not through a frontal assault of antagonism, but through a more subtle, well-intentioned but misguided counsel from friends. And so today we deal with the loss of wisdom, not just in Job's counselors, but even in him and the battle that will wage in him as he tries to understand suffering. And so my my goal this morning uh, is really just to say this. We're going to see Job start to lose his way, and I mean his way of wisdom, uh, because he he seeks to make sense of his suffering with the logic of this world. And it's not full yet. It's just the beginning. But we see his, his resolve start to waver because, because he's trying to make sense out of it and, and he can't. And since he's dependent upon his own ability to understand it, he wavers and he struggles. So, uh, as we move in, it's, it's important to realize that the testing of Job is not over. Um, even though Satan uh, recedes to the background, he really disappears at this point in the book. Uh, and, and the temptation is to think, okay, well, the testing's over. Phew! You know, and that's not it. Because no, but no longer is the attack as clear and as straightforward and obvious. No more do we hear uh, direct references to Satan, to the accuser. But what we do see is, is no less a battle for, for Job's heart and mind. 
And so again, um, I know we've already hit this, but what does the text tell us about Job's, the intention of Job's friends? We want to be clear with that as we dive in. Mm-hmm. They're there to bless him. They're there to comfort him. They, they're there out of love. They mean well. They, they are not here to make his life miserable. They're not self-righteous. They're like, <laughs> our buddy Job, remember that self-righteous one? He's in pain. Let's go have some fun. They're, that's not why they're there. They've come out of love and they're trying to help. Seven days and seven nights. I was thinking about this as I was preparing. Do you realize that means last time we were here in Sunday school, right right before worship, imagine you guys had come in and sat down and we'd sat here staring at each other in silence, crying since then. That feels like three months ago for me, right? Um, that's it since we were here together last week, right? And they just sat there. So what's the problem? If they came with good intentions, if they came out of love, what's the problem? Yeah. Yeah, ultimately the the problem is that they're going to come to him uh, not with the word of God, but, but with their own understanding, their own wisdom, their own attempt to make sense out of this. <laughs> yeah. You, go ahead. So Dave says, well, are we any different? Don't we sit here and try to make sense out of everything? What do you guys think? Maybe that's one of the reasons the book of Job is here for us, to challenge those instincts. Absolutely. Oh, I do this all the time. Um, so a little background is helpful before we move on. It, it's... Um, in chapter 7, as, as, as Job and his friend's dialogue continues, he says this, he says, So I am allotted months of emptiness, and nights of misery are appointed to me. He, he tells his counselor, I've been sitting here for months in pain. So the temptation is to read this and think, you know, he, he lost everything. A few days later, he, he's afflicted with sores. His wife says, curse God and die. He goes outside, and, and his friends walk up. No, this is, this is months later. This is months later. And that helps us to understand that that he's just been sitting and waiting, trying to make sense out of this for a long time. He suffered without his children. He's he's suffered antagonism uh, from his wife. And he doesn't know why yet. He's had no explanation. God has not revealed to him why. And and that's where he's at as his friends approach. Now, his friends are are probably considered wise. Why would I say that? Anybody have thoughts? 
probably wise. Wise. Then probably influential, seen as um, smart leaders uh, of society. Right. Yeah. Birds of a feather, right? Absolutely. You have the simple reality that the Job is, is, is a seemingly the most prominent man at that time. He's, he's, he's respected. He's influential. He's wealthy. Uh, you know, um, and, and these men are coming from far, right? And so these are probably other influentials of neighboring areas that he has yeah, interacted with the leaders. Absolutely. Beyond that, uh, Jeremiah tells us that the, the Temanites were known for their wisdom. Uh, uh, Bildad, the Shuhite, uh, according to Genesis 25, he's a descendant of Abraham. And so even though he's not of Isaac's line, you know, because we, we forget this, but Abraham married again after Sarah and had quite a few children. Uh, and, and the Shuhites, uh, uh, the shortest people in the Bible, uh, right. Uh, there's one who was smaller. There was a centurion who slept on his watch. And that's okay. Uh, I know. Sorry. Dad jokes on Mother's Day. What could be worse, right? Okay. Uh, but this is this is one of Abraham's descendants. You know, he's been raised. You know in a good family, um, and, and so on. Uh, Zophar, the Namathite, he comes from the east. Again, according to 1 Kings 4, the, the, those in the east were known for their wisdom. These, these men are coming from areas associated in the Bible with wisdom. Right? And here they come. And, it, and so I don't want to push this too far, but it, I think it's a fair assumption to say that, you know, these are respected, knowledgeable men who, who people would say, these are, these are the guys you should listen to, generally. So what happens when they arrive? Yeah. They're horrified. Did you, did you catch that it said they didn't even recognize him? And yeah, they tear their clothes. What's that a sign of? Uh huh. But but. Mm, that's it. Their hearts. Their hearts are breaking out of love. In other words, people didn't tear clothes at weddings. Uh it's not because they didn't love the bride and groom, it, but it's because that wasn't associated with joy. Tearing clothes is something you did at a funeral. It was a sign of love for the departed, right? This is what Job did when his children died. He tore his clothes. Um, it was a sign that someone you love has died which is also how somebody would disown a child who had let them down. My child whom I love is dead to me. Um. Well, I was thinking of that aspect, that they would look at Job, and how could that happen to one of them? 
Yes. The, okay. Yeah. 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 There, there is a big, yeah. There's love, but there's distance, right? They don't, they don't comfort him immediately. They, they wail. They weep. They sprink ashes on their head. They tear their clothes. These are things you do when you mourn someone who has died. In fact, it may very well explain the seven days of silence in verse 13. When, when Saul died at the end of 1 Samuel, the people fasted for yet seven days. The sorrow they show for Job is, the, is, is what, how, how the Jews would typically show sorrow for someone died. They're actually holding a funeral for someone who is still living. It's, 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 like, it's like Job's already died, but he just doesn't realize it yet. Their wisdom has failed them. They have no words how sad is it that Job actually is the one who has to break the silence? And the idea that he was unrecognizable. He had these boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Blackened skin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he 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 looked like he was dead. He just but his chest keeps rising and falling. <laughs> He's breathing, but yeah. Now, while Job never outright curses God, we can't fail to see that most of this book is given over to great spiritual torment. I don't just mean physical torment. Job's soul is tormented, and he is struggling. Um, In the first chapter and a half, and again at the end of the book, we'll see patient resolve, and, and we'll see that. But for most of the book, Job is not the resolute uh you know, unshakable pillar of faith that we often think of him as. And so it's here in in chapter 3 that we're introduced for the first time to to Joe's despondency, so to his, his, his despair, his struggles, his pain, his doubts, and his bitterness and his resentment and his anger. We see that those who are watching him are not the only ones asking why he's suffering trying to make sense out of it. Because, because what do we know coming into the section? We know why Job has suffered, right? Why? Okay, good. Job, because Satan has requested it and God has granted it. But we even know that, that God's the one who brought it up, right? What? Right, that God has an intentionality too. He wants to vindicate his goodness. Satan has an intentionality. He wants to sift Job. Like we know that, that both Satan and the Lord have their purposes and that there's a war going on between the two of them and Job is the football. <laughs> I mean, if we, I don't mean to be over, overly cavalier, but, but he's involved in something he has no idea about. We get it. And so we're rooting, Job, don't give in. This is like cosmic battle going on. Satan wants to sift you. God wants to preserve you. Hold on. You know, we're, we're rooting. Job, I don't know. One day I'm eating lunch and then I have no kids, right? He has no idea. He, doesn't, he hasn't been allowed to see everything going on. 
he can't make sense out of it all because he has the, the, the secret playbook of his God. He doesn't know why he's suffering. And so since he can make no sense of it, he begins to curse it. And initially he curses the day of his birth, even his conception. He curses the light and wishes darkness would consume him. He curses creation, wishing Leviathan, the very enemy of creation, would swallow it up and him with it. Because if he can't answer the question of why, if he can't make sense out of his suffering, he would prefer simply to just no longer be. And while he does not curse God, there is definitely a tone of accusation here. Because what's he ultimately challenging in these wishes? God's sovereignty. Exactly. He's saying something's gone wrong. God's plan isn't right. And I'd rather, I, I shouldn't be here. That's why we so identify. <laughs> of course it is. Right. Raise your hand if you've been there. Yeah. Right? But I doubt any of us have suffered like this. None of us have. One man has and more. Yeah. And Joseph is probably a close second. Right. Um, but, that's, but, we, but we all can resonate. And that's the simple reality. You know, we sit there and we think, okay, well, I've never suffered as much as him. And I remember uh, uh, this at some of our lowest points in our lives. People would say, I can't, I have, I can't relate to what you're going through. It's like, yes, you can. Because... Because no matter what the suffering is, when it comes, it's great. It, 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 yeah, months, right. Job believes history has gone askew and it is not as it should be and who is ever in charge has messed up. Yeah, you get the implication, right? This is his sin and it will require repentance. It will be rebuked before the end. Give me a few weeks, we'll get there, I promise. Uh, Well, I hope. Who knows? Three weeks away is a long time. He has not cursed God as Satan predicted, but neither has he received God's providence as humbly as he declared he would in chapter 2. God gives, God takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That resolve is, is, is not what we're hearing here. After a few months, it's the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. I wish he'd take away a little bit more. In fact, I wish I had never been. So many babies don't survive birth. Why did I have to? Right? Job's displeasure with God's providence becomes more clear in the next section, verses 11 through 19. Uh, he, he, he says, why, why did I survive birth? Why did I you know, make it through? I, he longs for death. 
believing that that's where he'll find peace. He says, great men have died. Slaves and servants die. Great and small, they cease from the striving. And Job just says, why can't I just be one of them? Now, we want to be careful here. Because he's longing for death. He's not contemplating suicide. Um, does this does does preferring death to life sound at all familiar to anyone? Jonah, Jonah yes. Paul, where? In the New Testament, somewhere. To quote Hebrews, someone said somewhere. Right. Yeah, so you have, you've got Jonah in chapter 4. I'd rather be dead than have this plant wither. Okay. You don't want to come gardening at my house because, well, Jen does great with plants. Me, not so much. So there's a difference there. Uh, gardening's not my skill set. Um, but yeah, Paul in Philippians 1 says, to live as Christ, to die is gain, which... Which would I, I prefer? He says, to be really honest, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. That is far better. And we go, well, isn't Job just saying the same thing? Sort of. Why sort of and not really? Huh? <laughs> Paul saying, yeah, I desire to be with Christ. That is far better. And it sounds in a lot of ways strikingly like Job. Job's like, I'd rather die than to go on on earth. Yeah. Yeah, there's a difference there. And Job didn't have the perspective of post-Christ death and resurrection either. Like yeah. Job is, is not saying, oh, I long to be with my Savior, but whatever, I trust the Lord. He's not even talking about being with us. He's just talking about escaping. Paul, it's the, it's the idea of being with Jesus that draws him. See, there's two reasons why people leave. They're drawn somewhere or they're pushed, right? There's a big difference. Paul is being drawn to heaven because of its glories. Job's just trying to escape. Paul will go on and say, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming again. He says, look, I'd rather be with Jesus. But my Lord has told me that that's, it's not time yet. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, Charlie. Don't, don't do this. Just raise your hand boldly and say, Pastor, you're wrong. Oh, so absolutely. So what's there's a there's a, a thin line, but an important line between lament and complaint. Okay, what's the difference? Okay, what attitude? Okay, 
You're going to have to be more specific. Right. So, so both lament and complaint say things are broken and they are not as they should be. That, there, that, that sin has wrought catastrophe on the earth. Lament says, and Lord, I long to see things restored in your time. Complaint says, you owe me in my time. See, there's an entitlement to complaint that says, I have been violated in an, in, and I'm looking for justice. A lament says, I'm part of the problem and I'm longing for salvation. Yeah, God's wisdom and earthly wisdom. So the, so the difference, see, see, Job is actually saying, God owes me this, whereas a, where Paul is saying, I want it. But no one owes me anything. That's the difference. There's a thin line between lament and complaint. See, Christians think it's wrong to ever say it's broken, it shouldn't be this way. No, 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 that's a lament. That's, that's, that's what we're called to do. That's Psalm 88. That's lamentations. It's, it's all over. God laments. Jesus laments, right? Complaint is, God, you owe me something different than what you've given me. The children of Israel in the desert complaint. Yeah. And Moses tells him, God sees what you're doing. Yes. Good. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So so I would say Paul is lamenting. Yes. Job has crossed the line into complaint. Sure. Good question. I appreciate it. Butchie. <laughs> right. Complaint, which is which is an assertion that some contract has been broken. Yeah. Exactly. And so Job is lacking the contentment that Paul has. He's not saying, this is what I would prefer, but Lord, you are wise. He's saying, and this will come out more clearly as time goes on, Lord, you have some splaining to do. Why is light given to a man who is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Who's he blaming here? The light giver. <laughs> Did you notice the word who's hedged in? Why is that word important? Right, right. So, so Satan has said, the reason Job follows you is because you put a hedge around him and no evil can get in. And now Job used the very same word and said, here's the problem. I want to get out of here, but there's a hedge and I can't escape. <laughs> God's, or Satan has told God, you're not free to bless Job. And Job has said, God, you're not free to afflict me. They're both attacking God's prerogative to be God. God's not free to do as he sees fit. So Job is wrestling with that question of Why? Why am I suffering? This doesn't make sense. If I could just make sense out of it, I could endure it. And since he can't make sense out of it, he believes that it is unfair, it is unjust. Whose wisdom is that? The world's. And I recognize it. That is my instinct every 
If I could just make sense out of this, I could say, okay, God, I trust you. But until I can make sense out of it, right? And, and we get this as parents, right? Our kids go through the what stage, and after the what stage, they go through the why. And it's, it's this relentless barrage of why. And, and, and it starts to become this, you know, I'm not going to do this until you can explain why. And eventually you want to say, that's fine sometimes, but you need to understand, you do it because I told you to. I, I, I don't have time to argue. You just need to trust me. Do I regularly make your life miserable for fun? <laughs> or, or have I at least garnered some sense that I actually have your best interest in heart and if I don't have time to explain, you still just need to trust me? Well, how much greater is our, our Heavenly Father? And yet we sit there and go, why? 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 And God says, trust me. And we say, Why? <laughs> Yes. When your platoon sergeant tells you to hit the ground, you better hit the ground. Yeah. I know a guy who, in Vietnam in 67, who went through basic training, his AIT and everything in the Marine Corps. They went to Nam, the first, very first battle they got into. The squad leader said, hit the ground. One guy stood up to him, took one right in the, in the head. Mm-hmm. It was Joe's best friend. You know, it's just, that's what happens. We, yeah, learn to trust who's in authority and understand why later. Absolutely. Always a reason. And um, because Job has this idea that unless, unless it's explained to him, unless he can make sense out of it, unless he can agree with it and accept it, it's unjust. And so he's trusting his wisdom, his understanding over the Lord's ultimately. And this is what we'll constantly wrestle with. This is what we'll constantly struggle with. And, and, and as we turn a corner uh, in, in this book, and like I said, we're going to skip most of it. Um, this is the question on the table. This is really, at the end of the day, uh, the, what they're going to wrestle with. And, and Job's friends are going to say, here's why you're suffering. You must have done something wrong. No one suffers unless they've done something wrong. Um, Job says, that's news to me because I, was, I didn't do anything different. I was just doing everything I had done. I was blessed one day and cursed the next. And, and you, Explain that to me. And, and, and the more they talk, the more angry he gets. And he says, no, this is unfair. I don't deserve this. I shouldn't go through this. No one, you know. And he gets more and more resentful, more and more angry. And he doesn't just curse the day he was born. He curses the God who gave him. Well, he doesn't curse God, but in, in, in the sense that his wife told him, curse God and die. But he just starts saying, you know what? I do wish I had a chance to talk to God face to face because I've got some questions and he has some explaining to do. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. That's where we're going to turn. Uh, uh, next week is we'll start to see, okay, what happens at the end of all of that? What happens when he finally gets his interview? Um, The question is this. Is God free to give blessing or affliction as he sees fit? Must he explain himself and justify it before he does it? These, 
these are the wisdoms that are at, at, at competition for your heart and your mind. The world will tell you, I'm not going to believe God until he can explain all he does in a way that I accept. The world will say, God doesn't have a right to do something that doesn't make sense to you. It's interesting how how people who make that argument won't feel the need to justify everything they do that's right if other people don't agree with it. It's the right thing to do whether you agree or not, so I'm going to do it. But the idea that, that the one who created the universe would have that prerogative is unfathomable to us because we are at the center often of our universe and, we, and, and you, your world will never make sense if you're at the center of it. Unfortunately, at this point, Job has already begun to use the wisdom of man. And that wisdom will be, will be turned on him by his counselors and he will strive uh, uh, to, to, to justify himself And so that's what we're going to continue to try to wrestle with. Because again, as Dave said, things haven't changed a lot in the last few thousand years. This is still how we react to, to struggles in life. And, and one of the reasons the book of Job is recorded is not so that we can either feel intimidated by Job or feel superior to Job, but we can see the journey the Lord walks him on so that even if we might not understand all the particulars of our journey we can realize that the same God who was at work in him for, for his good is at work in us for our good. And so that's, that's where we're going to head. Um, we're we're going to kind of skip all uh, the, the dialogue. Um, it's great to read. Uh, you know, go, go read that uh, in, your, in your daily reading. Um, it, one friend will say something, Job will respond, and the other, and it just kind of keeps escalating. The, the, the narratives get shorter, but the intensity gets greater as time goes on until Job is, is banging his you know, fist and saying, I'm ready to talk to God. I'm re-. Like, the more they try to help, the more angry he gets. At first it's with them, and eventually it's, yeah, I, I'm ready for my interview. And that's when he finally gets it, and that's where we're going to turn uh, next week. Uh, Butchie, did I see your hand up? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's roaming. Yep. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yes. There's only one sovereign force in this book. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Any other thoughts or, or, or questions before we uh, close in prayer for the morning? Okay, let's pray. Almighty God, you are good and sovereign, and yet you 
have your accusers, and far too often we are among them. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to learn the way of your wisdom, not our own, that we would learn to submit, to relent, and to trust, even when we can't make sense out of things. For your ways are always good, even when our understanding isn't. Help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.